9.34, time for our gardening friend, Gardening with Barb and Karen. Good morning, Barbara. Hey, Karen, and good morning to you on this nice, sunshiny morning. It is nice. It's a little chilly, but this only 23 days till spring, Barb. I know, and guess what? Tomorrow will be the first morning that the sun will rise by 7 o'clock and will set by 6 p.m. Yay! So, yay is right. Hey, you know... This past month, the month of February, we have been learning more about Black History Month. And when I think of Black History Month, and probably the first person that I really understood what slavery was about is George Washington Carver. He was an amazing man born into slavery in 1864. He lived and was raised in Missouri. As it happens, the plantation he was on um, in Diamond, Missouri, was just about an hour's drive from my brother's home. So I had occasion to go visit there, and um, that became a national um, monument there to George Washington Carver for all the work that he did. His whole life was um, a, a life of giving and being a humanitarian. He said the words that he said that made such a profound impact on me, he said that if you know how to garden, how to grow your own food, you will never be hungry. I thought that is, you know, that's what my whole life has been about. (laughs) But I didn't know it as a child that my mother was teaching us to do that. But here he was, and having been raised under the most adverse Um, situation, he managed to get an education, and starting out, he went to school in different areas, but one was, he was at Iowa State, and then he ended up in uh, Tuskegee, at Tuskegee Institute, before it was a university teaching agriculture, and after um, we um, started wintering in Georgia, I went to Tuskegee to Alabama to learn more about him and again was amazed by the work that he did. Do you know he went, when he saw the conditions there, he had a um, a wagon and a horse, I should say a cart or a wagon, mm-hmm. and he would go out into the countryside and he would talk to people and educate them about how to grow vegetables, food to eat, in this awful, mucky soil that they had. And he started them out by teaching them how to compost, how to improve the soil, and then how to do companion planting and how to rotate crops. All of these principles that we use today, I mean, here they had their start with him. He was the person that was going out and doing this. And he made this statement. He said, um, God does not charge us for knowledge. I will never charge you for knowledge either. If I'm not, can't see you in person, 
send me a, a letter. Wow. That's the cost, one stamp. That's wow. what it will cost you to get the information that you need to to garden and to feed your family. Wow, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. It, isn't it amazing though? And um, there's a wonderful website uh, that uh, you can go to, and you can see there's a short video there about his life and about his garden that he started when he was uh, in uh, the farm, the Carver farm. And, uh, you know, he was this amazing child that because he was such a sickly child, he was allowed to um, tend the... um, the garden, the vegetable garden for the family, rather than working out in the fields, and and during that he had time to get off into the woods, find plants. He was so attracted to plants and to rocks. He also <laughs> was an accomplished uh, painter, um, and and wrote many many books. Um, when you visit his uh, the the park the National Park, you will find that there are pathways at leading you through the forest, showing you spots where he gardened. He would take in native plants and grow them. He would pick wonderful bouquets of flowers and give to people. He was always generous and uh, alert and eager to learn more about nature and uh to nurture nature, so he was all nature and nurture. He sounds. When he, sounds, he died, okay. he left his entire estate to the uh, Tuskegee Institute. He was never married. Extremely generous man, and I am so happy that I had an opportunity to learn about him and his generosity. And it's just an inspiration to all of us. It sounds like a lot of his principles are based on what the Master Gardener program is all about, is sharing that knowledge of what you know. And I think it's just wonderful to look back on on his history and see what he's done. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting because this whole week, well, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and now today, I am doing my continuing education that we do as Master Gardeners. Um, It's a, a webinar, and so it's online. And and we've been talking about these same principles mm-hmm. um, that that are being taught today that he was teaching, you know, companion planting and um, covering up the soil. And we're talking about now the changes that we're seeing that have happened uh, since George Washington Carver's day um, from 1896 to 2021, we have been watching climate trends. We are now on the average, and this is just an average, um, in the summer, we are three degrees hotter than normal. In the winter, we average about three degrees colder than normal. So we've seen that kind of a change. And then with our rainfall, we're seeing um, harder rains. When we get rain, rather than being um, showers that are lighter, we're seeing more devastation. And so this pounding rain that then runs off and causes flooding. And that's why 
we've started, I mean, uh, we've started mulching, we've started composting the soil, and we're talking more soil than we are plants. We're, the importance of it, if you get the soil right, uh, then we're going to eliminate a lot of these problems. So it, it's it, this is this cycle that we just keep going back to the roots of what we need to do to to feed ourselves and to feed other people. It's just amazing. Well, thank you for talking about that. That is really, really interesting history. And the fact that you had a chance to go there is really neat, too. So thank you, Barbara. I appreciate that. Did you? Well, and, and please, uh, look at the, the site um, on your computer. You'll get lots more information. You'll learn more about the crops. You know, there are so many things that when these slave ships were bringing slaves to this country, the captains of these ships were bringing along with them from Africa. They were bringing new foods like millet and sorghum and and yams and black-eyed peas, even watermelon, eggplant, and okra, these things. And the slave population, they were the ones that knew how to grow these things. And those people on the plantations that had enslaved them, they were learning how to grow new crops and to eat different foods. So uh, now we talk a lot about um, introducing new plants and um, biodiversity in the garden, how important that is. I learned in this class last week that when it comes to plant diseases, the majority, 85% of the disease that we have in the garden is fungal. Mm. That's a preventable disease. Right. And we talk about that all the time, about air circulation around plants and about uh, uh, rotating our crops so we don't have disease that's carried over by the same plant year after year, all of all these things. And then how does that affect our insects and our pollinators? When we diversify our crops, we diversify our our insects, our pollinators. And this also gives us, when we have better pollination, we get more, more fruit, more vegetables as a result of that. Um, nature has given us all of these things, but we just have to learn how to use them correctly. Right, and if we don't, we get issues. And I don't know if you saw the, the headlines in today's paper, Barb. It says, Emerald Ash Borer Found in Lesueur County. And, of course, that's another thing we're, we're facing because of, of invasives be coming into our area because of bad practices. And so now we've got it in Lesueur County. So it's pretty much, I think, surrounding us. And today we have someone coming into our yard. A friend of ours is going to be cutting down our ash tree. It's not a huge one, but knowing that the, the chances are good that we're going to get the emerald ash borer because it's all around us, we're going to cut that down and cut our losses because it's very expensive to treat and also uh, very expensive to remove one if it's very big. And this one's manageable at this point, so we're going to just cut our losses. And we, we have a lot of trees, and we'll plant more, so I'm not I'm okay with that. But, yeah, it's, it's here, so you probably saw that as well. Yeah, I, I did. I read that, and... Uh, one of the things we were doing in class was identifying um, larvae mm. and insects in their different stages, and um, that was one of the things. This 
this ash borer, you know, what they look like. We need to educate ourselves. And perhaps if you're someone that goes out and cuts wood, you're using it maybe for a recreational fire, you know, having your own fire pit and burning things, you want to be sure that you're not dragging home any diseased uh, right. ash wood that would be just devastating well that's why they sell the stuff that's <laughs> that's certified that you know when when you when you buy it they they sell it that way and it, it i know it may be a little more expensive but i think it's worth it to help prevent things I like that too. yeah i do too and i have been wondering if the people that are taking down our trees that are cutting down trees i have wondered if they are checking to make sure that you don't see any of these indicators under the bark that there are ash bores there because what they do is they shred it and it goes into a landfill and is wouldn't that be a way of oh. spreading this disease right so we we have to be very very careful so yeah. barb i um last night i was preparing a bunch of uh milk jugs Cutting them almost oh, in yes, almost yes. in I'm interested in that yeah yeah so I I actually attended an online uh, program on winter seed sowing and it's it's actually getting kind of late to do it but you still can so I'm going to be starting a bunch of winter seeds and you take a, a milk jug I have the the gallon ones and you almost cut the top off and you just leave like a little inch flap around where the handle is and you flip it back so then you add about three four inches of soil. I'll, you know, it's moist, so I had to moisten my soil because it was in the bag and kind of dry. It's, uh, they say for the outside winter sowing to mix it with half of the seed starting soil and half of potting mix. So I'm doing that and uh, putting some seeds in. Different ones I'm going to be doing is, they have to be ones that are a little more cold hardy. So you can do some of the things like, let's see, what do I have right now I'm going to be doing? Some, some perennial seeds, for example. I'm going to put my hardy hibiscus and some other things like that. And then you, you put them out in a snowbank somewhere where they can get some sun. You take uh, uh, duct tape and you close <laughs> it up and make sure you don't have a cap on because you need that little vent so because they can't actually get too hot because what you're making is basically little greenhouses. And sure. then I will set them in the snow and doesn't matter if they get covered by snow and you have to check them once in a while to make sure that they don't, don't get too dry. And then when the season gets right, that'll they'll warm up and they'll germinate when when it's right. So it's kind of like anything else, like a, a seed that falls on the ground uh, and weeds grow. Well, they've got that kind of that little winter treatment too. And I'm, I'm doing some calendula. That's another good one, which is a pot marigold. It's another great one they say that will grow that way. And then I'm going to, once they start to grow, you, the... Um, the, the leaves will get fill up the, the top of the, the pot and then you'll open it up. If it gets too hot, you can open it up, take the, the um, duct tape off and then you've got them coming up. And then about the time they're ready at a decent, you know, have their second leaves, then I'll transplant them in where I want them, whether it's in the gar gar garden bed or somewhere in my raised bed garden. So I'm going to be doing that. And I was getting everything ready last night. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to get those started. And then also I'm going to do some plants you need to start inside. So we are just about March, early March. You can start seeds like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, and head lettuce. And you can start those. I'm going to do some under some lights and some heat mats and um, also some rudbeckia, black-eyed Susans, and that sort of thing. So we're getting 
to the, the appropriate time to start barb. And then by mid-March, we can start things like the eggplant and the okra and the peppers, but still wait till April for some of the other ones uh, like tomatoes and those sorts of things. So Sure. You know, one thing I wanted to say is uh, when you're starting seeds, because like broccoli, um, it takes 10 days. If you're raising the uh, calabrasa, green sprouting broccoli, that takes only 10 days to germinate, and it takes only 58 days to maturity. Mm-hmm. So even though that's a cold-growing crop, you might not want to be, um, if you start it now, 10 days later, March, you're going to get a pretty big plant. It's, it's going to be too tall before True. you get it out in the garden, which would probably be late April or uh, maybe with some uh, with a cover on it, you could <coughs> excuse me get it out April fifteenth. But <coughs> excuse me, read on your package what it says days mm-hmm. to germination. That's really important. Well, I'm just getting very excited, Barb. So I'm just wanted to share that that I've got the seeds and I ordered a lot on catalog uh, through the catalogs because there's some varieties that you can't get but there's also a lot locally but get out there because some of the varieties are already gone I noticed in different stores yeah and you know besides starting some seeds like this there's also checking the roots of the plants that you brought in last fall oh. you know, take a look at them see if any of them have broken dormancy and are getting leaves and you know a plant, a root that you gave me? The elephant ear broke dormancy. And what? it has a spike that's up about four inches. Wait a minute. So where did? how did you save yours? Because mine are looking pretty bad. I put them in um, vermiculite and sawdust in the basement at the lake house. And mine are not looking very good. So where did you have yours? And obviously okay. you did something better than I did. So what I did was I <coughs> wrapped them in several tissues of newspaper and I wrapped them like a package would be Mm -hmm. and then I put them into a basket that had air holes in it Mm -hmm. and I put all of the uh, bulbs that I could get in there I put them with them and all of them were wrapped up and then (coughs) about um, oh I would say I probably did that in October and November Middle of November, I checked them. I opened up different little packages. Everything was still sleeping. looked the same as I put it in there. And here now, February, I went and looked at these little packages again. And here was the elephant ear with this spike coming up. No leaves on it. It's just shooting up a spike. Oh, my gosh, Barb. Well, I I did wrap mine in newspaper, too. So I'm not sure if it was too dry when I put them in because I let them sit out for a while. And so, anyway, I'm gonna. I was gonna try and put them in pots and try and get them to wake up because mine just sure. aren't waking up yet. So, yeah. Well, this one. So now, when you do get this spike sh- shooting up, you should put it into a pot. Oh, right. I mean, yeah. it's ready to grow inside. So, yeah, I got new soil. Um, I got it potted up, and we'll see how it does. Now, this is the first time that I'm doing this, so it might be a fluke. I don't know. Well, good for you. I'm proud of you because I took out my uh, dahlia bulbs as well, and they were pretty desiccated, too dry, and I hope some of those grow. So I'm not doing something quite right with getting the moisture right, or maybe it's just too dry, 
down in that area? I, I, I really don't know. It's one of those things where, as uh, I've been doing redoing the Master Gardener core course, saying, you know, gardening basically is a big experiment. Well, it is. It is. And we have these microclimates, even in our house. I mean, <clears throat> one end of the house, like if you're in the basement, you get on the northeast corner, that's going to be colder maybe than it is on the southeast corner. You just have to, you have to figure these things out. Haul your uh, thermometer around and <clears throat> also something that gauges the amount of humidity because they do need humidity. They, they don't need to be in a cold, dry, desert-like atmosphere. Yeah, so. I think it was too dry, plus it was in the furnace room, so I'm guessing that was probably even oh, yeah. drier. Yeah. But, you know, the thing was we actually redid the basements before there was so much air getting in and out so it was a lot cooler and a lot different so the the climate did change because we put in a lot of insulation and new walls and everything so i think that's part of my experiment is it it isn't quite right anymore yeah that's right i i agree with you um you know people used to have cellars and that was um there usually weren't cement walls it was dirt walls yes and <clears throat> while we can't have cellars anymore, those cellars were great for root crops. Absolutely. Roots just did perfect in there. Why don't we have cellars anymore? I'm just curious. Well, because uh, now we know about radon. Oh, okay. Because I was trying to think, well, I wonder why we quit doing that. But that's, that's obviously, that's the, the reason. And, and you, you know, people used to have water in those cellars. And there were all kinds of problems with it. But at the time... It was much better than not having um, a cellar. A cellar really worked well for uh, for storing things. It really did for foods, and especially people used to bring in a lot more root crops. You know, you think of of uh, the uh, carrots and the uh, um, turnips and all of those root crops that we used to grow and store in our basement, and they would survive all winter long. Remember when I told you, uh, was it last week or maybe a week before, I was worried about the uh, my new hosta bed because all the, everything, all the leaves and all the mulch had blown off the top <clears throat> yeah. of it. And I mean, it's just not very good because what happens is then you get that freeze uh, thaw cycle. So what I did, um, we had a very cold day, uh, cold week. And then all of a sudden, remember last Saturday, it warmed up to I think 41 or something. And yes. so what I did was I bought a couple of these erosion mats. Basically, they're made of straw that's kind of sewed together. And it's about oh, eight feet long by, it was 50 feet long. I actually rolled that mat out on top of the garden beds because all everything else had run away or melted away. And so now I've got at least them covered with something, a mat, and then I sprinkled some more straw on top of that. So hopefully that will help. So I'll, I won't lose all those that I took so much time last year to plant. Yeah. You know, in this class I was taking, they talked about uh, making armor for the soil, Uh, armoring the soil so that it doesn't, when you get these hard rains, it doesn't beat up and and take off on you, that it's not, not being washed away. So the armor of the soil. So good deal. Hey, I appreciated the um, note that you sent me this morning about bee lawns, and I just took out a couple of um, statistics in there that I'd like to share with people. Sure. Do you know that last year, 
3 billion gallons of gasoline were used to operate a lawn and garden equipment. 3 billion gallons used to operate lawn and garden equipment. That's a lot of gallons of gas. And the cost um, of... uh, uh, Spent on lawns, $105 billion spent by Americans on lawn maintenance in 2020. Yeah, that's a lot. That is that is a lot. And this article is talking, of course, about uh, a choice, which would be a bee lawn. Just think of that, gallons of gas that are wasted, the carbon dioxide going up into the atmosphere. If we simply could use best practices for our lawns. And you know the neat thing about talking about the bee lawns is they actually make those mixtures to sell now. So, you know, it used to be you'd have to figure out kind of like, well, I'm going to add a little clover, I'm going to add a little this or that, what kind of fescue. And there are places that do that. I think there's one called High Mowing Seeds. I think that's what it was. Yeah, that uh, in in the uh, Master Gardener class, we were talking about that too, where to get some of these seeds and uh, lawns to legumes uh, program. You can find out more information. So I'm doing more of that now, getting some some more clovers and things in there. Um, And I I don't want the weeds, what I consider weeds, like the things like the, what was it, chicory and some of those other ones that, uh, thistles, things like that. But there are ones that are good for the soil and are don't require as much water. I even see in this list that they were giving that creeping thyme is oh, a yeah. good one to have in there. Right. I, I saw that too, that creeping... You say thyme or thyme. I guess it's either way. Either way is right, I think. White clover, you know, we've talked about that a lot. That's a great one. And one of the pictures they show are the native violets in the lawn. That's a good one. Dandelions are great. You know, as long as you... Don't let, like, a dandelion go to seed, um, You then you're, you're okay. I mean, the bees can come early uh, and get the pollen, um, get the nectar, and then after they get done blooming before they make seed, you cut them off and get rid of them. You can do that with your lawnmower. That's a very simple thing. We just have to get used to a lawn being having diversity right. a lawn shouldn't be just a, a green carpet um that's you know and the greener the better it just isn't it we can't support the climate if we do that absolutely well we are out of time we got to get to our maverick magazine but barb as always it's so fun to chat with you and i know you're going to be busy doing things for your garden today yes i am and i want to hear more about the milk chugs okay okay bye-bye take care thanks Karen. bye-bye All right, one minute past 10, you're listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.1.